Welcome to the Cardboard Herald Reviews, where we give you audio versions of our game reviews, then go behind the scenes of our creative process. Five Flavors of Mer People, an Abyss Review, designed by Bruno Catala and Charles Chevalier, artwork by Xavier Colette, published by Bombix, two to four players, about 60 minutes, review written by Jack Eddy. I was recently talking to friend and Reddit user Mishpod about Abyss. It really got me thinking about the core tenets of a designer, little mechanical flourishes that one can often see like signatures imprinted upon a game. When it comes to Bruno Catala, one of his greatest strengths is that he's so willing and often seeks to work collaboratively with other designers, which keeps his output fresh, and Abyss attributes its success as much to co-designer Chevalier as anything else. That being said, it's those bits of Catalian familiarity and occasional subversion that make his game so interesting to me. We're no strangers to talking about Catala and his collabo projects around here, so get your ghillie suits on, it's time to dive into Abyss. The design. Under the sea, you fall up. I know, I know. Patchface. Abyss is a game of political intrigue in a sunken kingdom of people. You'll attract supporters, court leaders, and hopefully hold the most political clout by the end of the game. The basic structure is simple. On your turn, you can perform one of three actions. Initiate an auction that will give you a supporter, your main currency for buying leaders. Freely pick up a pile of supporters who were unclaimed during previous auctions. Or buy one lord. Right off the bat, the framework of the game is classic Katala. There are a handful of basic and understandable choices of what you can do, and each of them propel you in some way to victory. The meat of the game is the internal decision process between what you gain, what you miss out on, and what you present your opponents with while taking any turn. By far the most risk player interaction in the overall heart of Abyss comes from the auction system. When you plunge the depths in search of followers, you reveal the top card of the deck. These cards, aside from their amazing artwork, have one of five colors corresponding to the different flavors of people and a value. This value is both for purchasing lords and a possible source of points in the game. Once you kick off the auction, each player is given the opportunity to buy the newly revealed card by giving you one pearl, which is the game's secondary currency, largely used for trade purposes. If no one takes it, you can add the card to your hand at no cost, which also will end the auction, but if you choose not to take it or someone else purchase the card from you, you flip the next card. Again, everyone who has not purchased a card can buy this from you, though the purchase price goes up with each player has already snatched a card from your grasps. This goes on until you choose to keep the most recent revealed card or the auction slots have filled up, forcing you to take the final card and a constant pearl. Then the magic of Abyss begins, as all other cards get divided into their respective colors, think suits, and put into their respective council piles. On a future turn, an opponent can freely bypass the whole auction thing and just pick up one of those piles. With each sequential auction, the piles of formerly unworthy one and two strength followers become more and more tempting to grab. So you have to be thinking not just about what you want, but what you might be freely presenting to everyone else. 
The rest of Abyss is all about resource management, namely the effective use of your single action turns, choosing when to give up a good deal like a pile of council members for grabbing something that you need like purchasing lords. These lords are not only what creates the timer in the game, with seven leaders triggering the final round, but they are also the key to the majority of your points. Every leader falls into one of the people types, which is one of the aspects of the theme that feels most intriguing. Each species of people also belongs to a societal caste, like the crab people who are exclusively warriors and the mollusk merchants, etc. In addition to having a cost and a point value, most leaders have one-time or ongoing effects, and some of them have keys. The most opaque element of the game happens when purchasing these lords. Not only must you pay for them using followers of the matching color or cast, but in some cases you must use followers of their faction plus one or two other colors. If the total of your followers falls short of the leader's cost, the difference can be made up for in pearls. Furthermore, the lowest value follower you use gets to be affiliated with the leader, like their own personal sycophant, and the highest value affiliated follower of each of your five colors adds to your points at the end of the game. Got it? There are a couple other systems in Abyss, a moray-based push-your-luck infrastructure that feels relatively inconsequential due to the trigger only occasionally happening during an auction, though it occasionally presents some meaningful choices, and a system for securing locations. Locations are like point amplifiers, but unlike the lords, their sole purpose is to get you points. Remember those keys I mentioned? When you get three of them, they unlock one of these locations, which must cover up the abilities of the lords who gave you those keys, forever locking away their sweet, sweet mechanical benefit. Just pretend you're sending your politician out on a diplomatic mission. They still contribute to your strength of influence, but their skills are no longer readily at your disposal. What this means is that you are again faced with an interesting decision. Do you buy the lord you can afford who has a key locking away your other benefits, or do you wait to buy one without a key sacrificing the points on the location? Again, this game showcases some of the design philosophies as made Katala such a rock star in the industry, bridging the gap between casual and core players alike. Every turn presents only a handful of easily understood options that will in some way affect the state of the board for each other player, but at the same time you constantly feel propelled forward. Every turn gives you more tools to play with. Furthermore, by limiting your turn to one action, opportunity cost becomes every bit as important as resource cost. Rarely is there a turn in Abyss where you aren't desperately wishing you could take two actions back to back. But on the other hand, it's the ebb and flow of your very capabilities that feels completely new and fresh, which is the magical collaborative design. I'm not saying that each designer's contribution is in the game is easily distinguishable. In fact, I'm betting that the author's work was much more organic. But it's like listening to Clapton. Whether it's guesting on the White Album, listening to Derek and the Dominoes, or maybe picking up a John Mayle and the Blues Breakers album, there are little identifiers and signatures that showcase the artist's contribution, let alone their taste for collaborators, woven into the whole. The presentation. I've got who's its and what's its galore. Ariel. 
Abyss is by far one of the best produced games in my collection, and the publisher Bombix made a big deal of that when it came out. This is best seen through the box art, which, like a 90s X-Men comic book, comes in several different variants, one for each of the different factions in the game. Already, the publishers are establishing that even the retail edition of this game has a degree of collectability, that its artwork is so good that it should come in five different versions, encouraging players to hunt down their favorite, and at a minimum, it worked on me. I picked up the one with the mysterious squishy mages. This is further emphasized by the fact that the face of the box has no text, just the beautiful yet alien portrait gazing back at you from, well, the abyss. And the production carries throughout the rest of the game. The cards are large, vibrant, and high quality. The locations are on super chunky cardboard that feels like they are less locking away the powers of your leaders and more casting them into the depths of the ocean for eternity. The pearls, though. The publisher had the audacity to include a spherical currency. These pearls are no doubt a frustration for many people due to their penchant for hitting the table and scattering like little marbles, but the little cups supplied with the game do just fine. It's worth mentioning that there are a few things sweeter than the sound of another player dropping a pearl into your cup at the auction, rattling around as it settles into the depths of your purse. For all the rich theme, gorgeous illustration, and high-quality components, there is a little resonance between the setting and mechanics of the game. The only real connective tissue is that each cast of Lord has a general type of ability, such as the squidly politicians manipulating the lords in play, the clammy merchants getting you pearls, and the aquatic equestrian farmers just getting you fat points. This is a prime example of a pasted-on theme, which caused a bit of a stir when the game first came out. Somewhere in the minds of gamers, they thought Abyss was going to be more. Something more than a handful of actions that you can take on your turn. Most of the time, big production values are reserved for robust games with numerous interweaving systems and all kinds of mechanics designed to connect the theme to the game. The amazing production set up expectations that were impossible to be met, all for daring to put such a premium look on a relatively lightweight game. But I love it. For me, the production in Abyss is so strong that even with a very abstract connection to the theme, it feels extremely immersive. Something about the game's visuals and physical presence is so enchanting that you suspend disbelief and begin to postulate reasons why things are the way they are, even if the design seldom helps your reasoning. And for that, I'd say the presentation in Abyss is an absolute accomplishment. Final thoughts. We would be warm below the storm in our little hideaway and beneath the waves. Ringo. Abyss is no doubt a game that is going to stick out in my collection for a long time. It's fast, intelligent, and beautiful. Furthermore, I think it's a shining example of the designer's best traits. Utilizing competing player desires and opportunity costs as the main fulcrum in which all decisions in the game rest on, while presenting some advanced strategy and trickery that is not typically seen in Catala's solo designs. That said, not everything is pure elegance. The push-your-luck seems underutilized, and the way that affiliated followers attach and then score feels counterintuitive every time you play, but the areas in which the game succeeds far outweigh any shortcomings and have helped it remain one of the most interesting and thought-provoking specimens in the sea. Oh, 
All right, everyone. I was not lying when I started this by saying that this was inspired by a conversation with user Mishpod over on our board games on Reddit. And I was having a conversation with them about Abyss, and I think it was something like a recommendation thread or games that people may like for some certain category, whatever it was. We got on the topic of it, and Mish was considering picking up Abyss, and I was talking about its merits and why I think I like the game. And in a lot of ways, I kind of just barfed up a section of this review and then it just became the review itself. I even told them, like, hey, I think I may have to get started on an Abyss review at this point because it's a game that I consider very interesting and something that showcases Katala's work in a way that you may be familiar with with later games of his, particularly like the super popular King Domino. This showcases some of the 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 choices and the designer ethos i guess that that goes into that meanwhile i was thinking about a, a lot of really stripped down games where the the player interaction is based off of choices not necessarily aggression but you know you're getting a lot of interactivity based off of the choices and how that affects the board state and i've in particular been thinking about reinar knizia lately with some of his games in particular, I'm really digging on the new Vincent Dutrait artwork for Medici, and I think I'm going to work on a separate video review for Medici, but the economy of decisions in that game, the, the economy of enjoyment is amazing in such a simple structure. You have really elaborate and fun decisions which is what a good game should be all about well not exclusively all about but that's a, a big part of the empowerment in a game and the agonizing decisions that you're going to have to make and i think in a lot of ways Knizia has had a huge influence on Katala, and Katala is now kind of following up on some of those more abstract yet still thematic tight game design uh, mechanisms that were you know what kind of set the cornerstone of modern tabletop gaming so anyway all this stuff has just kind of been in my mind lately and i thought abyss would be a good way to showcase that especially because i've at this point reviewed on our site or had uh, someone else review because we've done lots and lots of contributor reviews at this point uh, many many Bruno Catala games and this was a, a good time to really focus on a subject or an idea of signature flourishes and use a game to showcase it which is a different way of approaching something and, and something that I want to get more into with the Cardboard Herald right having something that I want to say or share with the world and using a game as the platform in which I say it. Either it's an idea about designers or it's an idea about the nature of games, the nature of interactive play, or even in the cardboard uh, craft work show that I started doing on YouTube, uh, which by the way, I'll have a second episode up here in mid July is my plan where I take a game and use it as a platform to showcase some crafty project and like how to do that. And I think that that's 
a new avenue for me to explore in making reviews. Now, as far as the game itself, Abyss remains one of the kind of evergreen games in our collection. We don't play it all the time, but it's a game that my wife really likes. It's a game that I really like. We both adore the artwork and the setting. It's just such an incredibly evocative and transcendent setting. Like, it feels fantastical and it feels science fiction-y, but at the same time, it's almost got a degree of fairy story to it. And the the decisions in it are, are really smart and fun. And it's all about making the best possible decisions for yourself on your turn and really agonizing about what you want to give your opponents, which was really kind of the thrust of this whole review. Uh, the expansion itself, maybe I'll do a review later on, but I like it. Uh, I think it, it adds additional layers that are fun, though not really integrating into the core concept of the game. So, like, it gives it more longevity by having this corruption mechanic. And the nebuluses, the, the, the black pearls, are freaking awesome. So, if you're a big fan of Abyss, I recommend checking it out. But I think if you are really enamored with the tightness of abyss and and the decisions that are the core concept that it, it makes it a slightly looser game but also expansive which is kind of what an expansion does so i i i'm not going fault it uh, i'm glad that i own it and i pretty much exclusively play uh with the expansion at this point but unlike some games where I think the expansion takes a good game and makes it even better, like Viticulture had Tuscany, or like Suburbia had Suburbia Inc., um, or Spirit Island has Branch and Claw, which I have a review of that coming out uh, here really soon, a uh, video review of that. Um, I, I don't find that this is like one of those mandatory, you have to go out there and get this expansions except for the artwork in Abyss is so damn good that the expansion may just be worth it to check out some more of the artwork and the Kraken miniature, which is unnecessary but also cool. So that's kind of what's up with Abyss. Uh, I really like it. Um, in the review itself, one of my favorite lines is that the uh, publisher of the game had the audacity to make spherical currency. And I was so delighted when I wrote that line because it is something that's audacious and preposterous. Like, imagine being a publisher of a game and being like, hey, how can we make the most inconvenient component possible and then make a specialized cup in order to hold those components just because we want to add that extra layer of premium awesomeness to this game and it totally works like i would never want spherical currency in any other game but it is so perfect for this and it, it creates such immersion in what is otherwise just a gigantically abstract game and i love it i i really like the game it has some of its faults. It's not like a 10 out of 10 game for me, but it's still a compelling game. And that has always been my jam, is something that's compelling. It doesn't have to be perfect, but if I see that it was going for something or it has something unique about it, it tries 
then I think that it ultimately is is worth a little bit more than something that is completely polished, but all of the character was kind of sanded off with the edges. You know what I mean? I don't know. I may be rambling at this point. So then it is a good time to sign off and say thank you for listening to TCBH Reviews. If you want to let me know what games you want to see reviewed, because I want to review new games, old games, odd games, weird games, all kinds of different experiences. I just did this post-curious the tale of Ord thing that'll be the next TCBH reviews and that is crazy and unlike any tabletop game that I've ever played and it's questionable if it really counts as a game versus a puzzle but it's still awesome and I reviewed the first two parts I'm going to review two more that's coming on down the road so um, anything that you want to see if you have any feedback about uh, this review Oh, speaking of which, one last thing about the review uh, is, um, in case you don't know, when I write these, I typically bounce it off a few people and say, like, hey, what do you think about this uh, before I actually publish it? Because I edit a lot of other people's work, and I find value in actually getting feedback from people. Sometimes I take it, and sometimes I'm like, you don't know anything. And in this case, I probably did that in the comparison that I did with Eric Clapton's work, because when I was growing up as a kid who loved playing guitar, Eric Clapton was and still is the man. And while he's not my favorite guitarist, and he hasn't even been in my absolute like top three favorite bands type of things, um, his prolific nature of contributing and collaborating with all kinds of people is fascinating and seeing his signatures being integrated into different types of music while still emphasizing the qualities of that music is awesome and unparalleled in a lot of regards. And I thought in writing that, that I gave enough context that even if you weren't familiar with Derek and the Dominoes, Eric Clapton, Delaney and Bonnie, Cream, any of that stuff, the Beatles' White Album, which if you're not familiar with, you should be, and that was also another kind of nod to Bruno Catala because he's a guitarist. But anyway, um, if <laughs> even if you're not familiar with those, I was hoping that within the context of the review, the fiber, that you would actually still kind of get what I was driving at. Some of the feedback that I got from one person was like, this doesn't work. I don't know anything about Eric Clapton. This just seems kind of dumb and out of place here and is just going to be something that kind of takes the the listener or the reader out of it and for me i was like you know what i'm taking all the rest of your suggestions but this this is for me this is a little moment that is like a piece of my soul that i'm integrating into this review and i could take it if someone says that it, it doesn't work maybe you are out there and you're like god jack stop talking about 60s and 70s rock bands for the first time in your life and maybe i will if i hear that general feedback from the audience but i think that most people tend to respond to things that are authentic to me if anything people come to this stuff because of the things that I create and I imbue it with so much of my personality. And if that's something that you value, then let me know. If it's something that you hate and you're like, I like the stuff that you do, but Jack, come on, 
don't go into the weeds on stuff that completely unrelated to board games or even like general nerd culture or whatever that really means then let me know that too. I'd love that feedback. So anyway, lots of reasons to contact me. That was way into the weeds as far as an anecdote, a, a, a digression. Uh, it is now time for me to finish up and get to bed, let alone upload this podcast. So thank you so much for listening. I've been Jack for the Cardboard Herald, and this has been TCBH Reviews. Thank you for listening to the Cardboard Herald. As always, everything we do is ad-free and audience-supported. If you'd like to help keep it that way, find the Patreon link at the top of our webpage, CardboardHerald.com. We have several levels of support with various rewards. If you enjoyed the show, we do a whole bunch of other stuff, including reviews, interviews, and recommendations across writing, podcasts, and video. You can find that on our YouTube channel or by visiting any of our social media or our website. So with that out of the way, thank you again for listening to the Cardboard Herald. Thank you.